the kingdom of heaven, which is of infinite value, will grow continuously throughout the world alongside the wicked and the false until God sorts everything out at the end of the age. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Well, I know we, we live in a rural or semi-rural area here, and so we have some who have a farming background here. So I want you to know, farmers, you are not eligible to answer the question that I'm about to put up on the screen. And Carol, where's Carol? Where's it? Carol, where'd she go? What? She's in the bathroom. Oh, what, what not that figure? Okay, okay. I was going to say, Carol, I'm looking at you, but I'm not looking at her right now. So anyway, so that means the rest of us have a fighting chance to answer this question here then now. All right, and here's the question I want to see if we can answer here. Where is the wheat? Which one is the wheat there? Yeah, that is wheat and tares. On one side are wheat plants. The other side are tares or weeds that look a whole lot like wheat. Wheat and tares look virtually identical until close to the harvest time. And even farmers can have a difficult time distinguishing the two. But once it's time for harvest, the difference is apparent. So what do you think? Which one, which one is the wheat? Is the wheat on the left or on the right? Who says it's on the left? Okay, who says it's on the right? Congratulations, most of you who said it's on the right are wrong. You picked the weeds. <laughs> Congratulations. The left is the wheat. The right is the tares, the weeds. I trust... The, okay, so sermon over, point's been made, right? No. There you go. See? Uh-huh. But now you might be wondering, well, what, what does that have to do with us here today? What does that have to do with anything? Well, stay tuned, and you are going to see shortly then. So we are continuing our series here then in the life of, the, the, of Jesus Christ, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. And we are using as our resource here to kind of guide us through this series here, this book called One Perfect Life by John MacArthur, in which he does a wonderful job of taking all of the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus and putting them together into one flowing chronological account. So this is serving as our basis then as we go through this examination of the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now, moving on here today, today we're going to look at some kingdom parables. Kingdom parables. And our text will be found in a harmony of Matthew 13, verses 24 to 52. Matthew 13, verses 24 to 52. And Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. So I want you to know that this is going to be one of those fire hose messages uh, if you're new to us here today, I said sometimes we have a fire hose message where, you know, you turn on that fire hose and now that water's coming out real quick there with us and it can be kind of hard. Don't try to take it all in, but just try to get a little drink from what you can. And so I would ask you then to ask God right now in the quietness of your heart what he wants you to hear from this message here today, the part that he wants you especially to hear and to take away from the message. But here is the key thought, the big 
big idea of the message here today, which is this, the kingdom of heaven, which is of infinite value, will grow continuously throughout the world alongside the wicked and the false until God sorts everything out at the end of the age. I know that's a bit of a mouthful right there with that, but that's a key thought, that the kingdom of heaven that is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, being in right relationship with him, living our lives in accordance with him and his will, in his desires for us, that is of infinite value. And this kingdom then is going to grow throughout the world continuously alongside the wicked and the false. But God will judge in the end. God will sort everything out at the end of the age then. So before we look at our text then, a little context for our text here. So recall we have seen how Jesus has presented himself to the nation as their long-promised Messiah. He spoke with great power and authority. He performed many miracles. He fulfilled scriptures about the Messiah. And yet, and yet, so many people rejected him, including most of the spiritual leadership of the nation, the religious rulers and authorities. And so, as a result, Jesus began to shift his teaching to speaking in parables. And in doing so, he would do this to hide truth from those who rejected him and reveal truth to those who believed in him. And so last time we looked at the parable of the four soils. Today we're going to hear more parables about the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew often refers to it, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, as some of the other gospel writers will sometimes refer to it. But first, just a a quick word on the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. What is it? Well, put simply, the kingdom of heaven is the realm of the rule of the king of kings, God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the domain or the sphere over which the king rules, the kingdom of heaven. So what does God rule over? Absolutely everything, right? So in one sense, the kingdom of heaven is everything, the entire created order. But in another sense, there, it means something quite different then. There are different senses of the kingdom of heaven in the scriptures depending on the context. In one sense, you know, God is sovereign and he is the king who rules over all things. But there is another sense, though, which has a spiritual sense in which it is a spiritual rule of God in the hearts and the minds of believers, of those who follow him. There's a spiritual sense. There is a physical sense, though, too, in that God has created all things, and there is a physical kingdom to this. There is, a, I believe, a future kingdom, millennial kingdom. But then there is also, though, the new heaven and the new earth. There is a present sense. The kingdom of heaven is now. There is a future sense. The kingdom of heaven is yet to come. There is a visible sense of it in which we can look around and we see the visible church. But there is also the invisible sense of it in which only God truly knows who is within the kingdom of heaven. Only he truly knows the hearts and minds of people. 
There are also some Jewish distinctives of the kingdom and the church distinctives of the kingdom, depending on God's purposes and plans for the ages. So does that make it all perfectly clear then now here with that? So it can mean different things, but essentially what? It's the rule of the king over things. It's the realm in which he rules. And today then we are going to see the kingdom then in the sense of the spiritual rule of God through the preaching of the gospel and those then who respond in faith to the gospel message. As one writer has suggested, we might call it here the sphere of salvation. So we might think here of the kingdom of heaven. This is the sphere of salvation then. So let's look then in one perfect life, this harmony of the gospel accounts. Uh, We're looking at a harmony here of Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 35, and Mark 4, verses 26 through 34. Jesus says, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn." Another parable he put forth to them, saying, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which is indeed the least of all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches under its shade. Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. With many such parables, he spoke the word to the multitude as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. 
So first off, we see then a number of parables, the illustrations of what Jesus used to describe the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or the sphere of salvation, if you will. And this first one comes from Mark 4, which is the growing seed in which the kingdom that a man scatters the seed and then he goes about his business and somehow, in a way that he does not understand, somehow that seed sprouts up and becomes new life and grows and grows until eventually there is a harvest. You know, really, when you think about it, it's one of the most basic things in the world in life, and yet it's incredible to think about, isn't it? How you take this little seed, you put it in the ground, and then just give it some time, somehow that little seed becomes some plant, some totally different plant. Isn't it amazing how that happens? Do you understand that? Do you understand how that happens? We know that it happens, but how exactly does that happen? Does this little seed become all of that? So Jesus says, well, that's what the kingdom of heaven is. That's what the sphere of salvation is like. What did he mean by that? Well, I think what he's doing is he's picturing then the, the, the mystery and the wonder of what God does in our lives through the implanting of the gospel message, the gospel seed. How I think this pictures then too, it's the, on one hand, it's a picture of the continuous work of the gospel throughout all the world and all of church history until the end of the age. But more likely, though, I think it pictures the steady growth of the individual believer until the work of sanctification is completed in them. God plants that message of the gospel in our hearts, that seed of the gospel in our hearts, and it results in new life, new spiritual life, and it grows throughout us until one day there is a harvest, the fullness of sanctification then. There's an element of wonder then in all this as we do not understand how God does his work of bringing about spiritual growth through the power of the gospel. He also then tells us the parable here of the wheat and the tares. Now, we saw at the beginning here, those wheat and tares, the weeds, can be very difficult to distinguish. Most of you thought the weeds were the wheat, right? Now, if our farmer, Carol, had been here, she would have seen right away that it was the wheat, right? On the left, that it was the wheat on the left. But that's okay. That's all right. Well, catch up with me afterward. I'll show, we'll see how you... Oh, actually, I just gave it away. It's on the left. I just said it. <laughs> Never mind. Don't bother catching up with me later on that. So anyway. But yeah, so the, those, those wheat and the tares, the weeds, they look pretty much identical through much of their growth process until it becomes apparent at the end, at the harvest time, now, most likely, what Jesus is referring to here is a, is a weed called darnel, and it's a poisonous weed. Not only is it not something, you know, that, that's not wheat and you don't want it, it's actually poisonous. It's bad for you. So you have to be very careful with that. And in those days, sometimes an enemy would sabotage another person's field by planting darnel seed in it. And there was actually a Roman law against that. So when Jesus spoke of this, this was something that happened. 
And the servants want to go and pull up all those weeds. But the farmer says, no, the attempt to pull up the weeds, you want to pull up all those weeds, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to end up pulling up wheat too and damaging. So just let them grow. Let them grow together. Because in the end, at the harvest, it will be apparent. And at that time then, the tares, the weeds, will be gathered up first and burned, and the wheat then would be harvested and stored in the barn. What does that mean? What is Jesus talking about there? Well, you're just going to have to hold on, because the scripture is going to tell us soon here. He's going to explain that. But first then, he goes on to speak of the mustard seed, in which you have this tiny little seed, the mustard seed, it's planted, and it becomes a huge, massive plant. The mustard seed was the smallest seed that a Jewish farmer in that area used. Now, just one little quick note here. Sometimes people will use this account to try to show us here. You see, you can't trust the Bible You can't trust Jesus because here the Bible is wrong. Jesus is wrong. Here Jesus says the mustard seed is the smallest seed. Well, guess what? It's not the smallest seed in the whole world. There are other seeds that are smaller than the mustard seed. So did Jesus get it wrong? Was he ignorant? Did he make a mistake? Or uh, or is the Bible wrong? We can't trust the Bible because you see right here something we can clearly check that there are seeds smaller than the mustard seed. What do you think? How would you answer that? It's for his audience. For his audience. <laughs> Who is he talking to? The mustard seed was the smallest seed in their experience, in, their, in that area of the world. Jesus wasn't saying, you know, actually, if you go thousands of miles away, you'll find this other seed, which is technically smaller. Than... No, he's saying what? In their experience, there where they are, it's the smallest seed, Right? So this smallest seed then would become this massive plant, almost like a tree. It could grow 10 to 15 feet tall. Again, there's that mystery, right, how that seed becomes a plant. Here's this tiny seed that becomes a plant that's 15 feet tall. And so tall, in fact, that even the branches of it, that birds will even come and build their nests in it. Hmm. What's that about? Well, I think what Jesus is telling us is that here that the kingdom is going to start out small, like a mustard seed, but it's going to grow and become massive. The kingdom started out with a handful of believers. Pentecost came and the church began to grow in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and to where? The ends of the earth. Until it became like a massive thing. And perhaps then the birds then, even building nests in its branches, might signify that people from all over the world would come and find shelter in the kingdom of heaven. The gospel message would be preached with such small, small beginnings, but we become such a great thing. Also gave a parable of the leaven there. Now, I'm no baker. As many of you know, I'm not a great cook or baker. I don't do that. But I do know enough to know that if you're going to have bread 
if you want the bread to rise, what do you have to put in it? Yeast or leaven, right? That is what you put in it, and it spreads, it permeates throughout all of the dough so that the bread will rise then, right? So leaven or yeast then is worked into the dough. It spreads throughout it all. It's influence then, if you will, spreads throughout all of the dough until it comes and it's, and it's spread out into the entire batch. Now, it's been said that you know, leaven is often used as a symbol of evil in the Bible. You, know, you, you get a little evil into something, and it spreads out there, and, and it affects the whole thing, right? But I don't think that is the symbolism here of evil. I think it's just simply the fact that leaven, how it spreads out until it permeates the entire batch, right? And so what is Jesus saying here? I think what he's saying is how the gospel message, again, is going to start out in one area, but it's going to eventually penetrate and influence the entirety, the whole batch, the whole world, eventually. It will start in one area, but eventually its influence will be seen everywhere. Some have also suggested that perhaps it could picture how the gospel message penetrates the entirety of a person on the individual level until it permeates every part of his or her life. All of your thinking, all of your actions, everything, how the gospel penetrates and permeates the entirety of the individual life then as well. But Jesus went on and he gave many such parables. With many such parables, he spoke the word to the multitude. So Jesus spoke in parables, again, to reveal truth to those who believed or accepted him and to hide it from those who rejected it. In doing so, then, he fulfilled prophecy. He fulfilled messianic prophecy that Messiah would come and open his mouth in parables and reveal secrets from the foundation of the world. Now let's go back to those, that wheat and tares again for a moment here. The disciples were particularly intrigued by that one, wondering, what, what is that? So they asked him. So they said here, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the terrors are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So here then we see the explanation Jesus gives us of the wheat and the tares. That Jesus, he is the Son of Man. He is the Messiah. He sows the good seed of the gospel in the world. And then some people, then, the good seeds believe. 
and they are the sons and the daughters of the kingdom. But there is someone else who's sowing seed in the world as well. The enemy, the devil, is also at work in the world. And he is planting seed. He's planting poisonous seeds, the bad seed of sin and rebellion. And those who follow him are the terrors or the weeds. They are the sons and the daughters of the wicked one. And I wonder, what, why is Jesus telling them this? Well, I think uh, the, the, the heart of it is this, is that there were some people who were wondering, okay, Jesus, now, if you are indeed the Messiah, one of the things that Messiah was going to do, if you look at the Old Testament prophecies about Messiah, you see when Messiah comes, you see him bringing judgment on the wicked and casting them out of the kingdom. But Jesus wasn't doing that. Jesus wasn't bringing judgment on, the king, on people. Now, his word did bring judgment, right? It inevitably brought it. But he was not actively judging and removing sinful and wicked people from the land. And so the Messiah is going to do that, but he's not doing that. Why? Well, through this parable, he explains that for now, the righteous and the wicked must grow together in the world until the harvest at the end of the age. And that judgment on the wicked will come later. Now, here's something that they didn't quite understand. If you look at the prophecies of Messiah, you see when Jesus came that there were some different elements that came into play, weren't there? On the one hand, you see this conquering, victorious hero and king who would do all of that. But on the other hand, you see this suffering servant who would die and who preached a, a message of a, a gospel message. So how do you put those together? Well, of course, we understand now what the two comings of Christ. The first time coming to give his life and the second time, when Jesus comes the second time, will he bring judgment on all the world? Absolutely he will. But until then, the kingdom must grow, the wicked and the righteous, side by side in the world. The judgment will come later, at the end of the age. And so the tares, or the wicked, will be separated out from the righteous by Christ and his angels. And the wicked will face eternal judgment. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth that is great sorrow and remorse and the pain of eternal lostness. But the righteous will be blessed and will shine like the sun in the eternal kingdom of the Father. So for a time, the righteous and the wicked will live alongside one another in the world until the end of the age when the judgment comes. However, it has also been suggested, and I uh, find a great deal of sympathy with this understanding as well, okay, I have a great deal of sympathy with this, is that this parable, though, also, though, might be speaking to the presence of both true and false believers in the visible church. Why? 
Because I wonder, why, why the darnel seeds that look so much like the wheat, and it's hard to tell the difference? Again, remember, we put that up there. Most of you chose the weeds. Oh, boy. That's right, yeah. <laughs> why, why these particular weeds? Why not some other why, that it's obvious that it's a weed, that this is weed, this is wheat? Why something that looks so much like the, uh, that the enemy plants something that looks so much like the wheat, but it's poisonous? It's false teaching, isn't it? False practices. And sometimes, can it be hard to know the difference between the the true believer and the false believer? The one who claims to believe but really doesn't? I think so. I think there's a reason why he chose the darnel seed and spoke of it in that way. I don't think it's a coincidence the fact that they look so much alike and that the enemy plants it. So it is true that throughout the history of the church, up to and including our day, there have indeed been false believers in the outward visible church who may very closely resemble true believers. And some of them then are even in positions of leadership and great influence. Now, does this surprise anyone here? No. This is the reality, isn't it? And who has planted them there? The enemy, right? However, on the other hand, we must be careful, though, not to, are we to exercise discernment, to call out false teaching, false practice? Absolutely. But in the end, are we best qualified to declare who definitively is the wheat and who are, who are, who are the weeds? No. In the end, God will be the one to make the final separation and judgment between the true and the false. One more passage here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth." And Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So here we see the parable of the hidden treasure. 
In this parable, a person is walking along a field, in a field and he just kind of stumbles upon a treasure that has been buried there. I think, why is a treasure buried in the field? Well, because people would do that. They didn't have safe deposit boxes. And so sometimes what would they do is they would take it and they would hide it somewhere. They'd bury it. And so we don't want to make, you know, press the, the point of this too much here, but uh, here's his metaphor. And, and he sees this and he realizes the enormous value of this treasure. And apparently the field is available for sale. Now, when you buy the field, what comes with it? Everything in it, right? So he sees this treasure of great value and he says, I have to have that. In fact, he was overjoyed by it. And he was willing then to do whatever it took to make any sacrifice necessary to obtain it. What's Jesus saying there? I think he's saying that the the kingdom, the sphere of salvation, being in right relationship with God... There is, is of enormous value. In fact, there's, not, there's no greater treasure in all, the, in all the world, is there? And so the blessings of the kingdom, the blessings of forgiveness, righteousness, and eternal life, just to name a few, are of infinite value, and they are worth any sacrifice or price we might pay to obtain it. Now, you might wonder, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying that Jesus is teaching here that we have to buy our salvation, that we have to work for our salvation? I thought it was a gift. I thought it was received by faith. It is a gift, and it is received by faith, isn't it? We can't earn our salvation. We can't buy it. We can't do anything to be worthy of it and to earn it. So... What does this mean then where he he gives up everything to have that treasure? Like I said, well, we can't buy our salvation. We can't earn it. But there is a cost in following Jesus, isn't there? There is repentance from sin. There is valuing and honoring Christ above all other relationships, loyalties, and desires. And yes, there may be suffering for Christ as well. That's a part of the cost. Salvation is free, but it may cost us something in those other terms. Not may, it does, doesn't it? But is it worth it? Oh yeah, (laughs) for sure. Along that same theme, then, the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, the first one, he's just kind of stumbling along, and whoa, there it is. The other one, he's looking for it. Some people, they're not looking for salvation. They just kind of stumble into it, don't they? Other people are looking. They're trying to figure this out. They're looking for it. And they find it. Now, of course, the reason anybody stumbles into it, the reason anybody finds it who's seeking is why? Because God's grace and the Holy Spirit working in them, right? But here he is. Here's this merchant seeking out beautiful pearls. And he finds one of enormous value. And once again, recognizing the great worth of that, He sold all that he had to buy that. 
because he knew that this was of infinitely greater value than anything else he was holding on to. Once again, the infinite value of the blessings of the kingdom are worth any cost or sacrifice we might pay. The dragnet. What was a dragnet? Dragnet was a fishing net, a weighted fishing net that you would toss that over the side and as the boat would go along, it would drag along on the bottom of the lake there. And in the process of doing so, would it catch only the fish you wanted? No, what would it do? It'd catch all of them, good and bad, right? And so you'd pull it out and then what would you have to do? Have to sort it out, separate it out. So what is this? Well, again, in the, as, the grow, as the kingdom progresses throughout the world, that message of the gospel, there are good fish and bad fish. That Jesus said, what, I will make you fishers of men, right? And so there are going to be good fish, believers, and bad fish, the wicked, that are all gathered up together in that And it'll have to be separated out. But again, when is the separation? At the end. By who? God himself, right? And in the same way, at the end of the age, the wicked will be cast into eternal judgment. Final thing he says here about the new and the old. Jesus says, have you understood all these things? He says, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Uh, does, does anybody here, if you, if you have a home, your apartment, wherever you may live, I bet you have some old treasures there, don't you? Some things that you've been holding on to for a while. But there's some newer treasures, though, too, right? There's old and new treasures, both. You have both of them in your house. Well, what does that have to do with the kingdom? And it says what? Those who are instructed in the kingdom, who understand these things, realize that there are old treasures, that there are old blessings, old things to understand what under the era of the old covenant. But now with the coming of Jesus, he is bringing what? New treasures, new insights, new understandings. And the person, so what? We don't, we don't throw away the old treasure of the old covenant in favor of the new, what we have both now. The blessings of the old covenant era and the blessings of the new covenant era. And those who understand the kingdom of heaven understand the blessings of both eras. This is why we preach from the Old Testament still, right? What do you mean? This is the church age. We should only preach the New Testament. You know, some folks who have that attitude, it's like, What? Why would I want to throw out the old treasures? Some truths from these parables then. A few things just for us to reflect on. First off, God causes the growth of the kingdom. Do you and I, are we responsible to grow the church or to grow the kingdom throughout the world? No. What are we responsible to do? We're responsible to preach the gospel, to proclaim, to testify, right? And yes, God has gifted and equipped us within the church to help one another to grow spiritually. But in the end, the whole reason you or I or anybody grows or the church grows isn't because of my effort or yours. It's who? It's 
It's God. It's God who causes the growth. Just like the wonder of that seed that becomes the plant, we plant the gospel out there in people and God produces the life and the growth. We evangelize. We edify. We serve. But in the end, it is God who grows the kingdom. It is God who produces spiritual growth. It does not come about through merely human efforts. The kingdom will grow alongside the wicked and the false. I want to give you a, make a shocking statement here. You okay? You ready for this? We should not be surprised, even though we are, it seems, sometimes, we should not be surprised when sinners think and talk and act like sinners, right? And yet it seems like we are. We're so stunned sometimes. Can you believe, can you believe the way the world is? Can you believe what's happening in our society? Can you get, it's like, yeah, I can believe it. You know, it's hard sometimes, right? But why do sinful people think sinful things and do sinful things? Because they're sinners, right? So don't be surprised at the sinfulness of the world. That's how it is and how it's going to be until the end. And no, I don't believe a particular, we won't get into all that here now today, there is a particular uh, way of understanding the future and future things and the millennium and what that means is that somehow through the preaching of the gospel, the world is just going to keep getting better and better and better until finally it's like a paradise on the earth. I don't believe that for a second. The world is going to continue to be the world all the way until Christ comes suddenly. Don't be surprised by the wickedness of the world. On the other hand, too, I think, too, don't be surprised that there are false believers within the church. Whether you understand this parable that way or not, it's clearly true when you look at all of the teaching of Scripture that it's true, isn't it? But remember, God, God is the one who will judge. God is the one who will judge the wicked and the false and reward his saints. God is holy. God is just. Nothing and no one else will escape his notice and his judgment. And God is the only one who is qualified to render final judgment. Now, we must speak God's word. We must practice discernment and guard against false doctrine and wrong practices. But ultimately, it is God who is the judge. It's not our job to reform society. Sometimes I think we can get kind of caught up in that, in politics and all that other stuff. It's not our job to reform society. What is our job? Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Now, should we speak to society and the issues? Absolutely. We just talked about that earlier this week, or earlier this morning, didn't we, with Roe v. Wade and and all of that. I think we speak God's word. But our focus isn't on reforming society. 
It's proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and knowing that God is the one who will judge in the end. Practice wisdom and discernment. Guard against false doctrine and wrong practices creeping into the church. But again, God is the judge, the final, who will have the last word. The kingdom will start small, but it will grow massively large. We have seen how this has played out throughout history. And the church will continue to grow until the very last person to be saved is saved. And nothing can stop God's sovereign power in accomplishing that. The kingdom will spread. The kingdom will spread all throughout the world. The kingdom will spread all throughout the world. There will be a great multitude of the redeemed throughout all time and from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And again, nothing can stop God's sovereign power in accomplishing that. Finally, then, the kingdom is of infinitely greater value than anything else in this world. There's nothing greater or better than to know Christ and to have the hope of eternal life. Paul said in Philippians 3, what, that all the advantages, everything, he considers them as rubbish or garbage compared to what? The value of knowing Christ Jesus is Lord, right? So what? What do you want me to do with this? Well, I take us back where we started and remind us then that the kingdom of heaven, which is of infinite value, will grow continuously throughout the world alongside the wicked and the false until God sorts everything out at the end of the age. So I want to encourage us with these concluding thoughts here. What can I do this? One, let's rejoice confidently in the final triumph of the kingdom. I know it can get pretty bad out there, can it? I have concerns for our nation and the path of our nation. But in the end, God wins. And the kingdom, his kingdom, will have final triumph. And we can be confident and sure of that. Let us then, too, let us practice discernment Practice discernment, speak God's truth, but leave the final judgment to God. Leave the final judgment to God. And then finally, value. Value the kingdom more highly than anything else in life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this insight that you have given us in your word. I pray, Lord, that we would indeed value the kingdom, value knowing you, being in right relationship with you, having forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life, the hope that you've given us of perfect righteousness, the resurrection of the body, heavenly reward, a new heaven and a new earth, Lord. All of these things are the blessings that are ours, received as a gift by faith. But Lord, may we understand the value of that and uphold it as better and more important than anything else in all this life and all this world, and that you, knowing you and walking with you, comes before anyone or anything else. May we be faithful, Lord, to practice discernment, to speak your word, but we leave the judgments, the final judgments to you. May we be faithful to plant the seed. You and you alone are the one who 
causes that new life and causes it to grow, that you have given us the privilege of walking alongside you and being agents for whom we work. May we be faithful to preach the gospel and to edify the church. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.